we're everywhere. Good morning, Sam. Good morning, how are you doing? I'm really well. Thank you for uh, joining us today. So this is a bit of an impromptu uh, interview, really, because um, there's lots of people interviewing people on Facebook right now, industry experts, because of lockdown and what have you. So I wanted to bring you in, really, just to... Um, because you're right in the middle of this right now with COVID, very much like we are, but it didn't always start in property with you because I know that you've got a very different background. So could you just explain to everyone that's watching a little bit about your background, what that involves, and your transition into what you're actually doing right now? Yeah, certainly. So initially I started off, um, I trained at university to be a musician. I went and worked on cruise ships all around the world for some massive companies. Um, and through doing that, myself and my fiance set up a business, um, essentially an agency, providing entertainers to, you know, everybody from, you know, your P&Os to your Royal Caribbeans and all the different cruise lines in between, and ferries, hotels, holiday parks. Um, and we built that up over the course of about six years. Um, really nice business. What we really created, though, was a, a nice way of having what you'd probably call more like a job than, a, than necessarily a, a business or in that regard. We love it. We work with some great people. We're really fortunate in that regard. Um, and about, I don't know, about two years ago, I suppose, I started thinking slightly differently. Um, like probably everybody watching this, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and my mindset shifted to a slightly longer-term view. Um, we started to plan to get married, have kids. We've now, we've now got a baby ourselves as well as I've got a nine-year-old as well. So my mindset shifted from how can I make a good amount of money this year? So how can I create a long-term, more robust wealth? Because it always feels like with, with business, if you don't have assets, it feels like you kind of take five steps forward and then those five steps for next year don't really mean a lot because you've got to do the same <laughs> five steps again. Certainly now, five steps forward and 45 steps back because of COVID. Exactly. But, you know, I mean, it came to the point of going, well, where do I want to invest in? And I like, I like investing in stuff that I understand. I like investing in stuff that I can see and property became quite key early on um and obviously i'm not gonna lie cash flow becomes a really important factor which steered us i mean we, we looked at um I, I certainly looked at um rent to sa and decided it wasn't really for me um and kind of got we kept coming back to hmos and eventually decided to take the plunge so that's what we do so we've got a portfolio of um seven hmos at the moment next one the contracts are all signed for um, and we built that up over the last 12 months. So seven HMOs in, seven HMOs in 12 months, that's phenomenal. I just want to sort of go back just a little bit. Um, so your, your initial job, your primary job, was working as an agent for cruise ships in the main and supplying the entertainment for people on cruise ships, like the bands, the singers, the magic acts. Uh, not the magicians, but yeah, the band, the singers, the audio technicians, um, and that's a business I still run. It's called Front of House Management. Um, obviously it's very, very quiet at the moment. Um, but that's a business that I still run. I'm still going to continue to run. It's bizarre, um, you know, because on the last cruise, cause I like to go on cruises. Yeah. And on the last cruise that I went on, which was on the, I don't know, it was one of the P and O cruises. There was, a band, there was, there was a Ventura. That's right. So anyone that's been on the Ventura, there was a band on there. What were they called? Sam? I can't remember. Um, uh, the Dukes. And yeah. I, I was listening to this band and I just happened to text Sam and say, hey, we're watching this band here. They're awesome. Are they yours? And Sam's like, yep, I put them on there. <laughs> just bizarre, bizarre. Yeah, it's a small right. So Sam, property in itself. Um, lots of people want to get into property. There are lots of people telling people that they're, you know, they can make a million pound in, in a day 
Um, you know, it's the most passive thing that they could possibly do. So let's unravel this then. Let's get into the grips of this. So let's, let's break these myths down. Can you tell me, number one, not yet, but in a minute, number one, is property passive? Number two, more so HMOs. And number three, is it going to make you rich quickly? Um, <laughs> this should be quite easy. Is it passive? Um, in my experience, not at all. Um, I'm a bit suspicious of anybody who says um, it can be completely passive unless we're just talking about joint ventures where you're providing only the money. Um, and even then, there's, there's a risk level, there's a work level, there's a due diligence level that is far greater than I think a lot of people maybe understand. Um, and I see it time and time again um, on some of the Facebook groups, people that have, have read one book or watched one YouTube video or listened to one podcast, there's one source of information. And they've decided, oh, it'd be easier we just set up this money-making machine. Um, so, yeah, no, passive, absolutely not. I mean, I've probably worked harder this last 12 months than I ever have in my life. Um, but given, send me back 12 months ago, and I would do the same thing. I might work even harder. Out of yeah. So, passive, absolutely no. But there's certainly rewards there, and there's certainly long-term wealth to be built there. Um, and what do you think, some specific, specifically about HMOs? Oh, HMOs um, yeah. You know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, I mean, there is no right and wrong if people want to invest in commercial or singlets mm -hmm. or HMOs. Now, there's a bit of a debate at the moment. I might have sparked this. I put a blog post in my group saying, you know, the difference between buy-to-let and HMOs and what you could see as, as getting more value out in the future. I mean, what do you think? What are your thoughts on buy-to-lets versus HMOs, and what are the, the best elements of the, the comparison? Mm. Well, I mean, I think the first thing we need to acknowledge when we're looking at buy-to-lets and HMOs, generally speaking, we're talking about very different tenant pools. Um, a lot of our HMO tenants, their aspirations to develop onto either maybe find a partner and move to a buy-to-let, but more likely a lot of the guys in the HMOs are saving hard so they can get onto the property ladder. They see it as a stepping stone in that regard. Um, the tenant pool over on the buy-to-let market, um, you know, I was I was a renter for, for many years. And I, I look at that and kind of acknowledge that really what we're talking about often there is a very different tenant profile from who is likely to be in HMO, small families, couples. Um, you'll, you'll see a, a group of tenants there that aren't likely to cross over. In terms of the pros and cons, though, I mean, from an investor perspective, HMOs are going to work a lot harder generally. They're much more management intensive, more... Um, maintenance intensive because these properties get a lot more footfall. Yeah. Um, the trade-off is though, of course, is your cash flow is going to be much, much higher. I mean, I'm operating in Swindon. It's quite difficult to get an attractive uh, return on investment or yield, however you want to measure it, on a straight buy-to-let in Swindon, I believe. But by contrast, HMOs work really well. On the on the buy-to-let side of things, you know, you are going to have less management. You may, if you've got the right tenants, get a good family in there that look after the property, you can have long, long-term tenants. Yeah. Not saying you can't get that in HMOs too, but I think your buy to let is a very different, um, different animal. Less work, but also less reward. I think so. Um, I think some people might argue with us that might be watching this because some people, if you're low leverage, you're going to get a higher return on investment and you're potentially going to get more cash flow as well. Um, but I think it's fair to say, Sam, isn't it, that you know, you, you must do things the way you want to do them. And that's the great thing about running your own business is you call the shots, providing it's lawful, providing that um, everything is all above board. So if people want to take less risk and they want to go into buy-to-lets, that's cool as well. 
I think yeah. there are, you know, it really depends on what you want. We've got a lot of people coming in saying hello, so I'm just going to give some shout-outs. Uh, hi to Richard Newport, hi to Danetta, uh, hi to Michaela. Uh, the, um, we are operating this Zoom, and we're going out on uh, YouTube, and we're going out on Facebook. This is all new to me, so I'm trying to open up all of the comments. I might not get around to, uh, for, to doing that. I don't know, because Facebook is at the moment is only letting me see about four comments at a time. If you've got any questions for Sam, folks, type them into the comment box, and I'll log in and make sure that we get them over to Sam. So, Sam, pre-COVID, you were working on seven <coughs> properties, seven HMOs. So my first question to you is... Um, how did you source them? Are they purchases or are they rent to rents or how did you get them? What do they look like? Okay, so we've got a, um, a purchase there. Um, we've got four of those are uh, lease options that are up and running. Um, and then we've got two rent to rents. There's um, the other number eight that I keep talking about is a purchase lease option that we've agreed. Contracts are all signed, but obviously due to COVID, we haven't picked up the keys. Um, so that's kind of where so, we're up to. Can I, can I just stop you there? Because that's really interesting. So you, you've signed, but you haven't picked up the keys. So there are lots of people in this position right now. How, how are you going to do that? I mean, when you say you've signed, but you haven't picked up the keys, does that mean that you're having to pay them the lease premium at the moment? What does it look like? So I work on a very simple premise in all my businesses, is only ever do business with somebody that you believe is a genuinely reasonable person. We were quite fortunate here. The vendor was out in South Africa and he understood quite early on, and they, the, South Africa were hit so hard with this COVID, they really were. Um, and so he had firsthand experience of how severe this was. So I explained to him and said, look, how about we'll start our effective date, so when our contract comes into force later by mutual agreement. Um, and there was no argument, there was no toing and froing with long negotiation. He said, yeah, absolutely. He has a company let tenant in there at the moment. Because um, he was out of the country, he asked if I could make a few calls and see if the company that wanted to stay. They practically bit my arm off to stay because they could not find any further accommodation for their employees. So it actually worked out really well. But at the forefront, when you're doing your due diligence, it's not just about what you see on paper. It's about the relationship you have with people. So how do you do that, Sam? What does the due diligence look like for you? Well, first of all, I mean, we, we start with the due diligence on the property. Um, so we're looking at the property, the history, the area. Um, luckily, I operate in quite a small area of Swindon, so it's an area that I've, I've got a very good grounding anyway. Um, but I also look at the person. So is that person a director on any, any companies? What's their history look like? Um, and from there, you start to build a picture of how this person operates. I probably met up with the vendor on this one probably for about three or four hours before we did our first contract with him. We've now taken three of his properties. Um, but the key was, if you start to get this feeling from somebody that they're going to be difficult or, you know, sometimes it's better to actually take those, those kind of... How do you do that? Now, I'm, you know, I'm an ex-cop, right? And you said earlier, you know, you're not going to go into business with somebody you don't believe is genuine, of course, and vice versa. Um, so it's one thing you doing due diligence on them and you can do as much as you want to. You can do a company's house check or, um, you know, you can go onto Facebook and Google and you can even CCJ them if you wanted to. But this has got to go both ways, right? So when people talk about leases and guaranteed rents for rent to rent and all of this, what's the guarantee, Sam? What guarantee can you give to an owner, especially as a new startup, that you're going to pay that rent every month or the lease premium? 
Well, completely. I mean, you, you're asking people at the front of a business relationship for them to put faith into you. Um, there are people out there that will do a personal guarantee. Um, it's not my preference on a, on a rent to rent or lease option. What I try to do is show them that I have experience of running businesses successfully for many years. Um, and we build off of there. But more than anything, it's a case of every point for, I, I do a lot, I, primarily we do lease options. And there's so much to negotiate with a lease option. There's so many different variables. And what I find is that as you, as you tackle each one of those, if you're confrontation if you're argumentative a you won't make any progress but also you don't build any trust whereas what i tend to do is i negotiate in this direction so we might be talking about lease payments and if we get to a point where i want to pay 900 a month and they want to pay need to pay 1200 at that point often i go okay well i'll tell you what, let's put a pause in that because we're going to fall out if not let's put a little pin in that let's talk about who's going to take responsibility for um the gas safety certificates the electrical safety certificates the fire alarm testing and we'll talk somewhere else and they'll see my value elsewhere. Uh, and you're just asking people to be reasonable. And it's about vibe often more than anything. It's about steering the conversation. You want to become somebody who can direct the conversation to where you want it to go. Um, I guess that's probably where the, the background in police officer um, becomes quite useful. But in the same way with the cruise ship entertainment agent, our biggest issue isn't finding talented musicians. There's hundreds of them. I mean, anybody at the moment because of lockdown, you can probably go on Facebook and you'll realise you're, you're friends with 200 talented musicians. You didn't and know. DJs. Everyone's, and DJs. Everyone's, a, <laughs> everyone's a DJ, right? I mean, some of them are awesome. I do find yeah. myself... But all of a sudden, everyone you know on Facebook is a DJ. But that was never my issue. My, my issue has never been finding good musicians or good DJs or any of that. But my issue is finding really good personalities. And I'm really proud of the people that work for the house because they're people that go out there represent me and my business. And they're all people that I would be friends with, that I would spend time about choice. They're nice people. Yeah. Um, and you, over time, I mean, we've got it wrong. I'm not going to lie. Over the years, we've, we've hired some, some wrong-uns and we've made some mistakes, like any business. But what I do find is that over time, you develop this ability in the sixth sense to kind of go, something doesn't sit quite right with you or something sits really well with you. I can really work with you. So and Sam, let me, just, let me just stop you then for a minute, just one second, because um, I don't want to go off track on this particular course, point. Yeah, yeah. So, so we're talking about the due diligence element of lease options and it goes both ways. Um, so when we talk, I mean, that rent, we're going to talk about rent to rent here specifically. Now I know that you've got a couple of rent to rent, but it kind of lends itself to the lease option aspect as well. So, there's lots of people that don't like rent to rent. There's lots of people out there that don't agree with it, perhaps. Um, but it's fair to say when rent to rent works, it does work really well. And for new starters, now there's lots of new starters that they, you know, and fair enough, people are coming out, they want to better themselves. They want to make themselves into something different, which is great. And I fully support that. Um, but there's a question and a big question that's been going around specifically in my groups really is that as a new starter and you want to go out and start with a bona fide rent to rent business, as you did at some point, how can you, how can you guarantee that rent? How can you personally, Sam, say to me, and we've never met before, and you come across to me and you say, right, I am going to give you my property, or sorry, I'm going to take your property and I'm going to guarantee you a thousand pounds a month, every month for 12 months. And then all of a sudden something like COVID-19 happens and some of the tenants aren't paying rent. So how do I act on my guarantee? Are you still going to pay me 
I mean, you know, I think the question is really, I don't think there's an answer to this, you know, to be honest, but how do I know where that guarantee is going to be backed? I mean, what is it? What's the guarantee? Well, I mean, I don't love the term guarantee, if I'm honest. Um, I, I also, I also got a bit of an issue with the term rent to rent. I mean, we use it all the time, but it implies the relationship something that's not necessarily. Um, as a brand new startup, in terms of what you can do to secure it, I mean, you can go down the route of offering some guarantee. Again, I'm reluctant. I mean, my, my, my personal view is that unless you are of a very, very sound financial position, mm. there's a significant risk there. Um, and my concern is that if you're actually of a very, very sound, significant position, you may be in a position where you can actually work towards a different model. Rent to rent's great as a complementary tool. Um, I don't know that I would necessarily be looking to run a, a business that is only rent to rent. I see rent to rent as being a tool in your toolbox. Lease options is another, buying is another, uh, exchange delay completion. I mean, there's so many options out there, but they're tools in yeah. the toolbox. Yeah. Um, but in terms of guaranteeing, I mean, really, ultimately, that's all where it's going to come down to the end of it. Um, we're not asking for any, any uh, long-term discounts or anything like that from the landlords. What we did do is we got in touch with everybody before this hit and said, hi, guys, this is going on. To be honest with you, we won't know um, where we're going to stand until rent day. Um, we've contacted all the tenants. We've worked with people that have been in, in significant difficulty. The only people where we've had big issues on an ongoing basis have been people that were giving us issues prior to COVID. Right, um, okay. COVID actually hasn't been a massive impact. But what we did do is we communicated with everybody. And communication really is the key of any relationship. It doesn't matter if it's personal or professional. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, we do. I do a presentation on communication. Um, it is key. It is absolutely key. So your current portfolio, Sam, um, did you say you've got seven HMOs? Seven up and running, yeah. Seven up and running HMOs that you've sourced in the last 12 months. Um, so before we come on to the COVID stuff, and I really want to talk about that um, towards you know the last 10 minutes, because I think there are a lot of people that are going to be watching this throughout all the platforms that are going to be in a similar position. Um, how did you get those seven HMOs? So wh where did you source them? What strategies did you use? Okay, so there's a bit of a mixed bag here, really. Um, the, there's some stuff in there where we actually got it straight from an agent. So I've, I've bought from an agent, which you know, is a thing that everybody will be familiar with. You go on Rightmove, you find a property, you view it, you negotiate, you make a purchase. It's pretty straightforward. Um, I actually managed to do a lease option for an agent earlier this year back in January. A lease um, option through an agent? Never. Agents don't do lease options, do they, Sam? Well, apparently I found a unicorn. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it is possible. I mean, the key was we found an agent that would work with us, that was willing to spend 20 minutes, listen to me rabble at him. Um, and also, the other thing I did is I actually attended, we had empty key, an empty property up the road. I attended with keys in my pocket. So if you want, I'll take you to one of our projects right now. And there's nothing more credible than being able to show potential landlord that you want to do a rent to rent or a lease option with or a potential estate agent say how about you come have a look and you'll see how we how we run our business and the standard that we work to because nine times out of ten our, our stock looks better than most of the other local stock yeah and that's what we kind of work to um and then the remainder of it was direct to vendor stuff so it was either what does that mean sam for those that are watching what's direct to vendor so direct to vendor is literally you find a way of communicating directly with the person who owns the property and how, so, what's the best way of, of, in your view, of doing that? The best way moving forward, I think, is going to start to change. And that's why I think it's important to be very, very current right now. Last year, we had really good success marketing to our HMO register locally. With letters. 
I suspect that's become quite saturated and we're probably going to need to start to evolve into other areas with how we market direct to vendor. Um, but I also had properties come out of network meetings. Um, we would go to networking events, talk about what we're up to, um, as reasonably new kids on the block as well, um, who are doing some quite creative strategies. You know, lease options, as much as we hear about them a lot in these Facebook groups, the reality is in your local area, they make up a very, very small percentage of uh, commercial transactions. So if you know about these things and you have some value to offer on these things, I mean, I've been inundated with people getting in touch via the Facebook groups about, oh, hey, are you free for a chat about lease options? Because that's become something we've done a lot, uh, done quite a few of now. Um, it's great. You mean, do you mean people contacting you for advice, Sam? Yeah, or... often it's for advice or it's people that own property and they're looking to pivot at the moment. Or right. I might have rent to rent and they're looking to pivot. Um, and they just want to start to get to know some of the nuts and bolts and where they can find more information. Yeah. So Phyllis has just asked, are the seven HMOs purchased or rent to rent? Yeah, that's exactly what we're covering now, Phyllis. So um, you'll probably get that um, as, it, as it comes through. There is a slight delay on the Facebook, I think. But um, Sam's saying that most of them are on lease options. Okay, so um, you've got seven up and running. So how many tenants is that, Sam? Um, I think we're at 30... Four, I'm going to say. 34 tenants. All right. Yeah. So you're relatively fresh into this. You're relatively new into your property business. You've done exceptionally well. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, bang, we get a pandemic. So talk to me about how that unfolded with you, Sam, where you were when it happened, what your thoughts were, how you felt things should be moving forwards, and how you've, how you've dealt and planned to, to get out of this or to cope with it. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess first things first is that I became aware of it quite early. Uh, we had our first contract pulled due to COVID on my cruise ship business back in December. Um, and it was literally... So that was like before we'd even really heard of it, yeah? Yeah. Literally, it was for a hotel and I had an email and it just said, oh, there's, um, there's this virus. We're not going to do spending on entertainment until we know what's happening with that. We'll keep you posted. Um, and obviously, as January and February developed, you know, it became quite clear that this this thing was spreading a lot wider and a lot faster than I think almost anybody kind of really predicted. But I think we all kind of feared that. Um, and then, as obviously we get into March and we hit lockdown, so as it was happening, what we did is in March we just wrote to everybody we were involved with, be it tenants, be it landlords, saying we're going to keep the communication really open, really frank. Um, we don't know how this is going to affect any of us or all of us but chances are we're all going to be required to work together moving forward and what were you feeling sam what were your thoughts when because i know that when i um, i was watching the chancellor and um you know i was watching him go through the, the three-month um, non-eviction aspect and then the government and then boris johnson saying right we're in lockdown you've got to stay at home I, I went through so many emotions because I've got several different businesses, some of which have closed down completely because of this. And my emotions were, I, don't, I can't explain it, it was fear and anger and dread and worry and anticipation and anxiety and all of that kind of rolled into one thinking, oh, shit, you know? I mean, what was going through your head? Oh, I mean, all, all of that and more. I think the... Um the lockdown when it came it wasn't a surprise we all knew it was coming um from the, the kind of week two weeks before that but the reality is it doesn't make it any less scary it becomes very real that actually it affects your day-to-day -day life um simple things like you take your dog for a walk or you go to the supermarket and it's weird you're in this unusual world yeah you know, i talk to friends that are still working they're they're either working in construction or they're key workers and 
um, it's weird for them because they go out and they do their day's work, they come home, and in some ways their life hasn't changed, but in many ways, it's like the world's kind of on pause whilst they have to continue in this daily grind. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a very emotional reaction. I mean, I think the, the reality is there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, and me on a very personal level, when there is uncertainty, that tends to be one of my biggest challenges. So I've made a point of pretty much every week I'm writing a new plan um, on the basis that every week the information changes, the forecasting changes. Um, but having that plan, sitting down just once a week for a period of time, it does make me feel a little bit more in control. I mean, the reality yeah. is I have no control, but having a plan makes me feel like I'm being as proactive as I possibly can be. So you wrote to your tenants explaining as it unfolded and opening that line of communication. <laughs> Did you have any tenants then and now that are trying to use COVID to get away with paying their rent? Um, so in short, yes. Um, I'll, I'll circle back to that in just a second. So we, we wrote to the tenants. We took a stance that very early on, the government have clearly used a very well-informed communication strategy here. They've tried to keep people as calm as possible. Um, and there's a clear strategy they've got at play. But don't, but Sam, don't you think they've got that wrong? Because when Rishi Sunak stood up and he made an announcement to say, right, don't worry if you're a tenant in the private rental sector because we're going to give you tenure for three months and you cannot be evicted. Now, I don't know what your tenants thought, but I don't think that was communicated very well because then effectively we had a barrage of tenants over a period of about seven days phoning us saying, I want to take my three-month rent holiday. Yeah. So this is the point, though, is that I actually think it was intentional. The reality is in that moment when they're saying this is what's going on and there's so much uncertainty and fear and panic, I think using the term holiday was intentional. It's not a holiday. It's a deferral this debt accrues interest and it continues and you know we're not charging our, our tenants interest for covid related arrears but it could you know in theory they're, they're, if you've got a mortgage holiday you are going to accrue interest so but i think the government used the term holiday on the basis of a very nice gentle word it may not accurately depict what it is but ultimately when you as an individual come to encounter the negatives of this you're going to hear that news from either a bank or your landlord well who are two of the most hated groups of people in society anyway? Banks and landlords. And police officers. <laughs> and police officers. Hey. <laughs> and music agents, if I'm honest. Oh, right. But to, that's the reality of it. And I think it was a strategy, and I think it was, it was quite well executed for them. It, mm. all, but this is my point, I suppose, Rick, is that actually what that led us to do is we took a view of our strategy as a business had to be about educating tenants. It had to be about explaining to them, no, 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 it's not a holiday. You can defer part of it. And then we have a repayment plan. So your repayment plan, if you struggle to make your normal rental payment, or if making your current rental payments at the upper end of your affordability, how are you going to be if you have to pay an additional 50 or 100 pounds a month back? If you miss three months rent, how long realistically will it take you to get that paid off? Yeah. Um, and encouraging tenants to really sit down with pen and paper and work out what they can genuinely afford. So at some, um, how many tenants did you have then during that period that tried to um, not pay or to discuss their oh, three-month rent payment holiday? Did it, did it happen? So I think across the board, we had four tenants in total. But what I would say is all of them were either in arrears or historically not great payers. They were people that right. when we started, we didn't reference as uh, thoroughly as we could do. And we've learned a lesson through this. Right. Um, what we have managed to do of those four, we've managed to get down to just one now who's in arrears. 
Okay. Um, then we separate from that, we've got one or two people that are not big arrears. We're talking 50 or 100 pounds where they've been furloughed and they, that first month was quite tricky for them. Yeah. Um, but they're expecting to pay in full on the first coming up. Because so, I've got this, I've got this attitude towards this, Sam. That um, there's the, there's several different categories that the tenants will fit into. Number one, they've been furloughed. Number two, they've actually been laid off completely. Number three, they were already on housing benefit. And number four, uh, they don't want to live there and have moved out. So if it's number one and they've been furloughed, they should still be able to pay their rent. Yeah. 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 Number two, if they're on, um, if they've been laid off, then they can get universal credit. So they still should be able to pay their rent. Number three. Yeah, absolutely. Number three, if they're on housing benefit anyway, nothing has changed whatsoever. Number four, you can't really do much about. So I don't really think there is that much of a scenario. And you can correct me if I'm wrong in your portfolio that the tenant shouldn't be able to pay other than using it as an excuse. Well, this is it. And that's, that's the fear. I mean, a lot of landlords um, across the Facebook groups are having is, I'm, and I'm sure it is the minority, but we are seeing quite a few of these posts where people have got opportunistic tenants that are going, oh, well, I know you can't evict me for three months, so I'm going to sit on this. Um, and my first port of call is you've got to have a conversation with this tenant because aside from the fact that you want to provide nice, clean, safe housing for everybody, the reality is I don't want to get some 22, 23-year-old to the situation where I end up having to get them a CCJ later on this year or mess up their credit for the future. I don't want to do that. That's not, that's not why I got into business with this. Um, what I'd like to do is I'd like to sit down, let's work out what you can really afford. And if it's less than your rent, fine. Let's work out a repayment plan for the rest. Um, and, then, and show me some evidence, show me some bank statements, and we can work together. I think the bigger fear is that some of the tenants are being opportunistic. Um, I think we've only got one or two that are really trying to exploit the situation. Yeah, yeah, likewise. One really. Well, we've had, you know, I mean, we've had people that have called us when it started. So first of all, we are, um, well, so we are very proactive when it comes to collecting rent in a nice way, because we have to be. We've got such a port- big portfolio. But we have had people that are saying that I'm working from home now. My desk isn't big enough, so I've left. You know, I'm working from home now and the, and the internet speed is a lot less than it was before because everybody else is at home. So I've left and we think, well, hang on a minute. You know, you can't just up and leave because the desk isn't big enough. So Sam, did you manage to get all of your rents in last month? Because it kind of, um, it was squeaky bum time a little bit for us on the first of last month because I thought, oh no, this is all going to fall apart. We've got a 50 grand a month rent roll, um, but actually we got 100% in. How was it for you last month? And do you think it's going to be any different this month? So, excuse me, last month uh, on actual rent day, I think we came at about 92%. So we were, we were down okay. a little bit, but it fell within our profit margin. So we're not going to stay awake and cry about it. Um, and then as the month's gone on, we've got that down to just being really the one tenant who is fully in arrears at the moment. And is this the tenant that I've um, seen a lot? Because you're in my VIP group. Um, So people don't know what the VIP group is, folks. Check it out. It's like a pound a day for mentoring and what have you. Um, So you've posted in the VIP group. You've got a guy that's doing drugs. It's quite obvious he's doing drugs. Is this the same person? Yep, same guy. All right. So that leads me on nicely to um, how are you going to deal with that, firstly? And secondly... When the Chancellor announced the three months that we have to give notice now, almost securing tenure for tenants for three months, almost telling them they don't have to pay for three months because they can't be evicted, do you think there should have been some kind of intermediary where it allowed for 
tenants that were violent, tenants that were um, assaulting other tenants in the house, tenants that were committing criminal damage, because we're getting all of that now, and yet we can't do anything about it. Two questions there. <coughs> um, yeah, essentially, in short, that I think that Section 8 um, and a lot of those kind of antisocial evictions still need to be aimed to be actioned. Mm. Um, people that had already been served a notice, and that notice period now expired and it was time for possession, um, I personally believe those should have continued. Um, the problem you've got is some people did a Section 21, it ran out a few days after lockdown, and now their two-month notice has turned into five months of notice, which is obviously bonkers. I think the policy was done quickly, um, and it wasn't done with the shared housing, housing market in mind, is the reality. So how are you dealing with this, Sam? So your tenant that's not paying and is smoking drugs, what is your process? So he's been served Section 21, um and we've also because he's now it his arrears kind of hover in and around the two month mark um what we've done is we've uh but it, they, he he's quite good at kind of paying two months bringing it just below and you know it it almost feels like he knows a little bit of what he's doing with it he's so a professional we, well this is it so we, we serve section 21 um we um started an mcol claim for the current arrears money claim online folks if you're not sure what that is Exactly. So, you know, our, our expectation is that should be successful. Um, and really but you've still, got to, you've still got to house him in the interim, yeah? Oh, so, of course. I mean, because very... the, other, the other element is that the courts are shut, the bailiffs aren't working, and the warrant officers aren't working. You know, so that really isn't... You know what um, a lot of my students in the VIP group have been doing? And, you know, some, you either love this or you hate this, but it depends. <laughs> if you want to move forward in your business... Um, everyone's got a price, Sam, isn't that right? Everyone's got a price. You just have to say, look, you know that you're going to be evicted at the end of all of this, and potentially you'll have a county court judgment. Let's just sit down and negotiate how much do you want. Um, it's lawful. They can sign a deed of surrender, uh, and everybody works. Now, one of um, I don't know if you know him, Sam, but there's, uh, I won't mention his name, but there's somebody that posted in the VIP group about a week ago where he came... Um, he got a phone call from the police in the morning. There was blood all over the HMO. Uh, the wardrobes and everything had been smashed and thrown out of the window. And he came to me in the group and said, what do I do? So I said, negotiate with him. Um, how much, ask him how much he wants. He managed to surrender his contract and leave the same day for £125. Yeah, it was nothing, wasn't it? I remember seeing it. I was, it was like, wow. Yeah. yeah. To deal with the problem um, and to put £125 in, to get your room back, to do it lawfully, to get a deed of surrender and to get and be able to let that room again. I mean, it's a snip, isn't it? What are your thoughts on buying people out of contracts? Oh, do it all day long. I mean, we, we, we will always offer, if somebody is difficult and they're in arrears and they are being, we think they're being intentionally difficult, we've got a very, we're a very long road ahead of us, we'll always offer them um, to forgive the arrears and offer them a little bit of money to go. Um, Eight times out of ten, maybe nine times out of ten, it'll work. Um, the problem we've got at the moment is, um, luckily, in that person's case, he, he was fortunate. And he did it for so, such little money. I mean, if you have a problem tenant, it's certainly worth a punt, isn't it? Yeah, it's got um, to be. It, luck, unfortunately for us, this particular one is saying he's got no way he can possibly go. It's so hard to find somewhere during COVID. Hmm. Um, so we, it looks like we're stuck for the duration. But the reality is, is that once you serve that notice, you feel more in control. Once yeah. you file an NCOL claim, you feel more in control. And it's as much about managing your own emotions towards the situation as it is. Yeah. That sounds like a really hippy-dippy answer, but it really is true. No, but it's, it is true, isn't it? It's about, yeah. because I know, you know, you know yourself, you put all of your time and effort into a project and money, and then you look at it and you think, it's all worth it. I love this. Then you put a tenant in, 
and then they don't pay and then you get it becomes personal to begin with you know as you get bigger it doesn't it becomes less personal but then all of your emotions are tied up in it and it becomes really really hard to deal with sometimes um and, and if you can just literally eliminate that very quickly um and get that emotion out of it then it just becomes a business transaction and if you're in control then you've done as much as you can possibly do yeah and it, it makes you feel better about it and people that feel in control i believe make better decisions than those people that feel under pressure sam what would you have done differently had you have known about covid would you have done anything differently hmm. um that's a really good question i uh, i oof. would i have done anything differently um it depends how far back we're going, if I'm honest. So if we were going back two years to when I first started to have this shift in my mental approach to money, um, I would have started in property immediately. As I mentioned earlier, we've got the cruise ship business. I've also owned a recording studio, both of which at the moment are essentially shut. Um, there, is, there is no cruise ship sailing. There is no holiday parks open. There are no international hotels operating with vans. So we're basically shut there. Yeah. Um, this year, property saved me. It's been really, really great to have that income coming in. Um, you know, the reality is I've had a massive drop in my income because my other businesses, but the property's been pretty resilient. So I suppose going back, the one thing I probably would have done is I would have started sooner, um, if anything. Okay, interesting. And what do you think the future is in terms of HMO, buy to lets and the private rental sector in general? Do you think it's going to be stronger or weaker when we come out of this pandemic? So... I've put a lot of thought into this. I suspect that what we're going to see is rental rates will probably stay the same. Um, they may get a slight increase. I'm not seeing rental rates dropping particularly. Um, in terms of the number of renters out there, I can't imagine it's going to go down. The reality is, is that there's a certain number of people that were potentially planning to buy a house that will have to use savings. There are people that will be financially affected by this for months to come, uh, years to come probably. Um, and that only increases the number of renters. So I, I can't see it necessarily really affecting the rental market in a negative way. I think we're gonna continue to have renters. I think it's gonna be sensible for landlords to um, smarten up on their knowledge on A, the eviction process, because I'm sure that's gonna be evolving this year. I imagine that's gonna get reviewed and reviewed and reviewed constantly. Um, as well as universal credit. We have to understand what universal credit is, how it works, um, and how to make sure and manage our tenants that are using universal credit for the first time. Yeah. Um, so I, I think those are the big things. In terms of the HMO market, we may see a slight drop in internationals. Um, where I am, we don't really have a strong um, student HMO market. So I certainly can't comment on that, but I think those uh, student HMO landlords are probably among some of the worst affected. Um, yeah, I agree. Facing quite a challenging year. Um, yeah. So I think it's going to be tough, but I think the, the key here is really to be strategizing. I'm, I'm spending most of my time at the moment looking at what is going on in the market. Um, which types of accommodation are letting? Is there an uptick in one beds and studios? Is, are people looking less shared because of hygiene now? Are on suites going to become more appealing? These are all kind of the questions that I'm asking. Do we need to consider looking at housing benefit tenants? Do we need to consider looking at different types of accommodation? Yeah. None of these are decisions, but at the moment, they're all questions I'm asking. And I think at the moment, if you're serious about continuing to build your portfolio, these are the conversations you need to be having with yourself.
you know you do and it's important we do look at those strategies moving forwards and it's strange isn't it the way things happen because um you know and i feel i feel sorry for student landlords right now because the the, the universities haven't made it any easier because what they've said is that you know they're releasing people from their first year accommodation so their first year halls but then all of the students in second year and, and everybody else um have, have tried that on with their landlords as well by leaving um, and you know you've got student landlords that are in contract for this year and next year that they rely on that income and all of a sudden their portfolio is just gone everyone has left so it's hard times for everybody and I feel for everybody you know there is no right and wrong there is no told you so <coughs> because nobody could have seen any of this um, but that brings me on to my final question Sam um, people are still looking for deals. People are still marketing. What are your thoughts on marketing in this environment? Is it ethical? Is it not ethical? What do you think? So, personally, we're not marketing. Um, my concern about marketing at the moment is that there's, there's already like this um, stigma out there around property investors, particularly people that are really hungry, potentially new to it as well, and, and kind of so eager to get that first deal, that you could be perceived to or you could even quite honestly accidentally end up doing a deal with somebody who is under severe duress really um in a severely distressing situation my concern is i don't want to be a i don't want to waste my time doing that because once i realized that that was the situation i would never do a deal with somebody who was being taken advantage of in that way um but similarly so you're gonna waste your time but also you might end up doing a deal that when you look back on it you're not proud of and that's my concern with marketing right now but what i am doing is i'm looking i am absolutely checking every portal every day i'm compiling lists i'm going through data from my local borough council's website aside from just the hmo data we're looking at other stuff now we're looking at mixed use we're looking at commercial we're making massive spreadsheets so that when the time is right and i don't think we're far from it i don't think we're far from it i think once we start to see a plan as to how this is going to start to be released yeah we can be marketing but once we can we are going to have not only a big push on our existing marketing that we've already done before that's got us to where we are we're going to be launching two or three other marketing campaigns and strategies that we've never tried before for types of properties that we're looking to diversify into yeah I mean, this is going to be a big step change for everyone. Awesome. Sam, you've been amazing. Just got a couple of questions because I'm very conscious of your time. Um, Martine saying renters will only increase, right? Yeah, Martine, I think we've, um, yeah, I think, you know, the rental sector will get stronger from this, um, but we need to see what the new, the new new looks like. Um, you know, we'll see, see where we go from that. Tim is saying, hi, Sam, do you have a set number of HMOs that you want to get into? I've stayed with three, which are 12 tenants for a few years now as it works, but I might increase or I might do some flips. So what does that look like for you, Sam? How many tenants do you want to get to? So my initial, when I started this, what I wanted to aim for was 20 HMOs. Um, 20, wow. Since COVID's come around, we're starting to change this up a little bit. So now what we're looking for is 10 HMOs, um, but in amongst our projects looking forward now, we're going to start looking at which of these properties or any properties we look at might work potentially as flats. Yeah. We're trying to slightly diversify because I don't understand loads about stocks and shares or trading Forex or any of that stuff, but I do understand property in my local market. So what we're trying to do is be diversified within property, within the area that we understand. So that's property in and around Swindon, and we've got HMOs, we'd like to have some flats. We might even look potentially at single lets or mixed-use commercial um, as we move forward. So um, the strategy is constantly evolving, but that's what we're looking for at the moment. 
Yeah, I think you've got to start with the end in mind, haven't you? And then just reverse engineer when you want to get to. And my team's just made a statement just saying all of my students have been okay. And it's the students who have graduated and are now pharmacists who have not paid or paid late. Yeah, I think, you know, I don't know. I mean, in Worcester, I know I've worked with some landlords um, quite closely and all the students have just gone. Uh, and it's put them under a lot of financial um, distress, you know, it's just very, very different. So Sam, you've been amazing as always. Now you're in my VIP group. So if people want to contact you, they can contact you there. Have you got an email address, Sam, just in case anybody wants to give you a shout? Yeah, I do. So I'm sam at wearevolved.co.uk. So it's sam at wearevolved.co.uk. And I've recently set up a Facebook page on Facebook where we talk about property as part of Rick's Facebook challenge. So could you do me a favor, Sam? Could you find the feed afterwards in Facebook? And could you type your website address so people can find you from there just in case they didn't quite catch that? Sounds great. Awesome. Sam, you've been amazing. Thank you very much. I wish you all the well. Stay safe. And uh, we'll catch up in a couple of weeks. Let's see if we can get out of this. Yeah, it'd be nice to see you in person next time. Yeah, definitely. Thanks a lot, Sam. Take care.